0: So Yasukawa's four-lap average, 218.476. So his second attempt and probably his final because we're down to four minutes
1: remaining in qualifying. And all you have to do is be on the track when the gun
0: goes off. So Dominguez with three minutes and 45 seconds and counting, hitting the tech line. The tech line?
2: and now for dinner with racers presented by Continental Tire with your hosts Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman
0: Play
1: Holder radio sound <laughs> to yet another episode of Dinner with Racers. I'm Sean Heckman. Hi, I'm Ryan Eversley. That was done enthusiastic, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we got to roll through these because we are doing, these are some podcasts about them, uh, TV shows we're doing. These are extended podcasts basically featuring less edited versions of the interviews you see on our TV show
2: because we've got a TV show, Ryan. Right? That's right. If you go check out Motor Trend Plus, you can look up Dinner with Racers or you can go to YouTube.com forward slash Motor Trend Watch or you can Google Google and then eventually Dinner with Racers, TV show, all that stuff. The biggest thing we want to tell you about though is how important it is to get likes and especially comments on our videos. The engagement is what's keeping Continental excited. They appreciate how much you guys have helped us keep the show going. So do we, but let's keep that going because it's keeping the show on the road. So we actually came up with an idea last fall that we thought would be interesting
1: heading into the month of May, 2023. So in 2022, there was a big deal about would Indy have 33 cars or not to have a full field. And while obviously like anybody, I think we both Would love to see 33 cars for the heritage of the race.
2: You know what car count matters more to me, Ryan? 34 cars. Uh, And why is that? Because sometimes they don't all make it.
1: Exactly, so the Indianapolis 500 is comprised of 33 cars to start that race, and as opposed to other events uh, in other series where maybe you're invited or whatever, the heritage of the Indianapolis 500 is about not making the race. So in the history of the sport through the years, the idea of not making the field has become part of the heritage, and it's usually done on a day of qualifications known as bump day. You maybe don't hear about it as much in recent years because car counts are obviously more of a challenge, but the idea of putting everything you can into making the Indianapolis 500 just to make it is something that maybe you don't see in other forms of racing. And that was why we really wanted to spotlight the story of Pacific Coast Motorsports. So in our new Motor Trend show, there is an episode called Bumped. And the Pacific Coast Motorsports story, in the grand scheme of our show in Indianapolis, is about telling you what happens to those who are on the edge of making the race and what's at stake.
2: Yeah, it's oftentimes that you watch Bump Day back in the day when there was like 12, 15 extra cars and they'd get sent home and you'd think, okay, whatever, or maybe there's only one or two extra that don't make it and you don't think much of it after they leave. But the reality is there are actual consequences involved.
1: So the first person to focus on is, of course, the ringleader of the whole Pacific Coast organization. That is Tyler Tadavik. This podcast will tell you his background if you're not familiar with Tyler. But basically, he was the team manager at Pacific Coast when it first started in in the Formula Atlantic and then Champ Car eras uh, and eventually became the team owner and then well, you'll hear what happens next. So, uh, I've known Tyler for almost two decades now. Obviously, Ryan, you've known him for a long time in sports car. One of the most uh, engaging and charismatic guys in the paddock, for sure.
2: Yeah, in 2005, he was running the Pacific Coast Motorsports sports car team, and and his team was the team every mechanic wanted to be on. So he really has that cool California vibe about him, and I think that comes across in these episodes.
1: So we recorded this actually at his new building for an organization called True Speed Autosport. They're at the Thermal Club in Thermal, California, and uh, we had food brought to us by a fantastic uh, local thermal establishment called taco shop 760
2: and they made a chicken sandwich
1: they made a chicken sandwich right keep it going for indycar team owners that used to could
2: now we actually got there in not my acura mdx but an acura mdx and it was on continental tires
1: again this is a less edited version of the stories you'll hear about in our motor trend series and hey if you're watching that motor trend series ryan on this episode called bumped What should y'all be doing? Bumping up them comments. Bump up them comments so that we don't go bankrupt. (laughs) Engagement. Bump it up. Jesus Christ, uh, that's right. Please, please leave a comment on them uh, on them YouTube pages. If you uh, if you watch our episode bumped and you really like it, even if you don't, please fake it because you like our podcast. Because comments really do show that we actually have humans watching this.
2: We're trying to keep our sponsorship going, folks. You're doing a great job. We just need more,
1: <laughs> more, more, and like real comments. Yeah, don't be a robot. Thank you. Yeah. Alright, enjoy Tyler Tadovic. Meow. Meow. Meow All right, we're gonna start in five, four, three, two. Obviously, we're here for a very specific story and a very specific kind of moment in your life, but if we were gonna go back fifty years and talk about the life of Tyler Tadovic growing up, who was Tyler Tadovic growing up?
0: Man, I was a pain in the ass. Growing up. I was an awful little kid. Real serious pain in the ass. Uh, you know the kid that that can can, can you know sit still Can't in still class still. and yeah, yeah. And, and my folks divorced when I was about 10 so I was a like a pretty good kid but um wound up pretty good uh, up until about then and then when they separated i kind of went off the deep end and i was looking i was i had a good nose for trouble as a young kid so and not the kind of trouble that sends you to jail but the kind of trouble that sends you to rehab Ah. Oh, uh, so really did have a good nose for it Yeah, I did Hey, hey yeah. <laughs> Take that Too much? Too soon? Yeah. I don't <laughs> Yeah No, it's good Sean, <laughs> <John>, come back <laughs> Sorry
2: <laughs>
0: So where'd you grow up? Bend, Oregon. Nice. We've been there. Yeah, it's a good spot, man. Yeah. Born and raised right there. But you that's know. like
2: out there, so I could see you getting into trouble.
0: Oh, for sure. At the time it was a town of 18,000 people. Yeah. And so you you went out in the woods and you drank beer <laughs> yeah. and you smoked weed and yeah. you took mushrooms yeah. and whatever else there was to have out there because you you didn't have a lot of other stuff to do once yeah. the football game was over. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> So easy
0: to get in trouble. For sure. <laughs> easy to get in trouble. And when, especially if you got a nose for it. And yeah. some and not a lot of you know, when mom and dad split dad I'd left town, so it was my brother and I and mom, single mom, raising two young mm-hmm. boys. And, and I learned a long time ago that you get a lot th- more things with sugar mm-hmm. than salt. Mm-hmm. And so I could sweet talk my mom and I kind of owned her. So even when I would, even when I'd get in trouble, it wouldn't really be that much trouble and she'd understand. And mm-hmm. so... You know grades were never enforced and she did good to keep food on the table and the doors open at the house and i was appreciative of that and so both my brother and myself took full advantage of that and I, like i say we were we were little party boys and you know <laughs> no high school diploma yeah. big trouble like guys you know rehab at 17
2: did you really absolutely wow okay good so stuff you good really stuff. get in trouble yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. good
0: stuff you know uh, looking for trouble mm-hmm. I, 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 a good time charlie all in the name of a good time you yeah. know none of this was running away from anything i've all, always about having a good time. What did your mom do growing up? Uh, so she moved from a multitude of different jobs, primarily secretarial kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so she spent a lot of time working, After, especially when the folks split. She spent a lot of time working. So, um, uh, But not high-level stuff, you know, mostly secretarial-type jobs, that kind of thing. Working at the college. There are a number of stories I could tell you about, you know, bad choices there with mom. But God bless her, you know. she so... Uh, originally when mom and dad split, I kind of thought it was mom who was the trouble, you know, but it was really the old man who was the asshole. And she sort of took it on the chin from him. And then for me, cause I was told by him that she was the trouble. And when I finally got it all figured out, well, you know, I was, I, God bless my mom. You know, she put up with a load of <laughs> and so I, I appreciate her a hell yeah. of a lot. Yeah. At yeah. what age did they split? Uh, I was 10.
1: Okay, that's a pretty big age. Well, and it was
0: here. This, the yeah, got up Christmas morning, and um, uh, (coughs) mom had found out that dad was getting her a Mercedes for Christmas, so she literally took delivery of the Mercedes, grabbed the bag, put it in the car, and said adios. Oh wow. whoa. Which, yeah, so I don't like Christmas, by the way. Not a, not a fan of Christmas I, I guess been yeah, so long I time time. And, and that's not yeah, not to, yeah. not to yeah. make a bad story, but yeah. that's, and that's wow. the truth. Wow. You know, uh, I, for a long time I thought that and that's how rough my, my mom, that's what she had to do. And she mm-hmm. was good on her for waiting for the bends before she skated, <laughs> Smart. and good on her for skating, so you know what I mean? Like yeah. she did it the right way, but at the time it was, it was rough. So uh, yeah, kind of reckless as a kid, mm-hmm. and, a, and a good time, Charlie. What, what did dad do? uh dad was a sales guy so grew up in the restaurant biz when i grew up my dad had multitude of restaurants four or five restaurants so my first job was you know a pearl diver was washing dishes and Mm -hmm. prep cooking and that kind of thing and i've done everything in the restaurant business from wait tables to you know all of it and and uh not a cool business so he owned Mm -hmm. restaurants also had a construction company Mm -hmm. was a small town so he was one of the big fish in the small town he had three or four different things that he did and uh and so yeah, kind of, kind of a lot of stuff.
1: But he was Mr. Personality, sales guy.
0: For sure, okay. very much. You know, filled the room up. Mr. Charismatic, the whole nine yards. Yeah, he's he's, he's a he's a big guy. You know. So
2: yeah. I'm not hearing anything to do with motorsports or any sort of automotive interest. You know, and that's the thing. And
0: my dad, uh, uh, definitely a penchant for motorsports, definitely, you know, liked racing, was a drag racer growing up, all that kind of thing. But for me, it was just my thing, man, you know. And, and I've, I've, I had a go-kart when I was a young man, and it was a four-stroke Briggs & Stratton, you know, welded in the backyard, POS that, you know, I mean, I, I can remember distinctly had a circle driveway in front of our house. And doing, you know, lefties until the right front was so cooked that we had to go to the right, you know. And then we couldn't go to the right for too long because the weld on the wheel was bad. And at one point then, you know, the wheel just came off and you drove right into the curb and knocked the left front off. And, you know, it was, yeah. So I loved it. And I always wanted to do that. And I think he kind of knew that. His younger brother, my uncle, um, also was a motorsport guy or not, not a motorsport guy, off-road guy. We'd come down and visit him in the summertime. Interesting thing about my Uncle Jim, the voice of Donald Duck was the voice of Donald Duck for about eight years for Walt Disney. Huh. Was uncle, my uncle, my uncle Jim. So to be the coolest third grader <laughs> is to have Donald Duck call your birthday party uh-huh. and all your bros get to talk to Donald Duck and ask him some questions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then no be shit. like, you know Donald Duck? I mean, like, huh, related to Donald <laughs> Duck. No, no big deal. Didn't see that I coming. No big deal. Yeah. No. Deal. Yeah. no so, so we're going to get sued for you saying it. Uh, you are. You are. Yeah. But he really did. Disney's so this is isn't. not. Yeah. They're not what did. So uh, he was an off-road guy. We'd go with him often uh, to the like to Pismo Beach, or we'd go down to Baja and go do— Your game. dad or your uncle? My uncle. Uncle, uncle. Jim. Uncle yeah. Jim. Uncle Jim, yeah. So yeah. my dad and my dad would take us. It would be something that my brother, my dad, and I would go see his brother, and that would be our thing we'd all go do together. So that was my sort of little entry into motorsports. Yeah. But it was just a group of friends in junior high where we kind of got into, you know, I mean, this is 84, 85, 80, Two eighty-three. So magazines, you know, no yeah. internet or anything yeah, like
1: right. that. Mid-1980s Bend, Oregon. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, hardcore. Like I'm telling you what. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And if you want to say, oh, I should have, I wish I had a picture. What was the hair? Uh, oh, all business up front, all party out back. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Very it happy. P- yeah. Really. Re- and really. You rocked it. It yeah. was so nice. Yeah.
1: You could I'll, be a race team owner in Sonoma.
0: I'm going to have to. I'm gonna to have to say Austin Day had a, made a multitude of some. I had some senior pictures done, and somehow he got a hold of one of them, and then had some stickers made, Good. and they're to this day. Is and wrote. Is that what's a, on the van outside? Uh, uh, it's one of the stickers that he did. This t- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I was like, out who is. is this? That's not, wow. So that's that's Alex Comey's face. Yeah. That is on Jim Pace's body. <laughs> <laughs> because Jim Hayes, Hayes has a way better body than Alex Comey. Yeah. And yeah. And so that was put on there one weekend for fun. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been on there for about two years now. So uh, you
2: had like full on eighties porn star mullet
0: full on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So yeah. And, but, and my dad <clears throat> was into racing and I'm, mean, uh, but not, you know, more drag racing stuff. And, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was more kind of my thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is why when I went to really pursue it, none of my family really understood, you know. My yeah. Uncle Jim was hip on it. But everyone right. else was like, well, what are you doing? You know, you yeah. should be going to college. You should be doing something different. Get a regular job. And that was not the story.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> At what point do you go from fan to competitor
0: uh so i did a stint uh i sold some timeshare for a while Mm -hmm. worked in alaska for a little while framed some houses in alaska i long lined for halibut and i set net for salmon
2: oh so you're like a Alaskan fishermen proper. Yeah. Wow.
0: Proper. <laughs> yeah. Proper fishermen. Yeah. yeah. Full on. That was not cool. I did that for one summer. Wow. And I was I came to realize and you, that, No
1: high school diploma, no college degree. You know, I
0: went all the way through high school because you had to go to school to find out where the parties were going on. But I did not get a <laughs> diploma. So I did finish high school. Didn't get a diploma. Went to Alaska for about four months, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Came back, worked in construction for a little while. Uh, picked up a job as a timeshare sales guy, did really good there, actually <laughs> mm-hmm. sold and a of And this bunch is where you sort of
1: start, start channeling
2: your dad's yeah. ability to yeah, sell. Yeah, exactly. Plus yeah. it's it, timeshare, so partying. I'm partying, yeah. And, yeah. Well, yeah. and that's yeah. exactly
0: it, and yeah. it is. Man, yeah. I'm telling you when it's all about the money, and <laughs> it was it was easy. About the time I actually started to get a conscience and realized, man, maybe I'm not doing this Is you know, just because I'm making money doing this doesn't mean it's okay. Yeah. And I started not liking it very much, and so at one point, actually, it was I was living in Seattle, and I was a project director for a big, Sales room and Mm -hmm. had a big phone room that I oversaw. And we used to say, We hire them in masses, we train them in classes, and we fire their asses, right? So, I mean, I was firing sales guys all the time. It was full. Uh, Glengarry, Glenn Ross. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Full yeah. on. Yeah. Like coffees, that are, exa- coffees for closers. A, exactly. Exactly yeah. right. Doing yeah. timeshares. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. yeah, the
2: high risk business of yeah. timeshares. Well, man, yeah. if
0: you're closing, it's like baseball. If you're batting three hundred, you're a monster, right? Which yeah. means you're still here yeah, and no seventy yeah, percent of the exactly, time, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's a yeah. You're going out for drinks afterward. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, but this
1: was something you were good at. It,
0: I, it was yeah. I, I got the job by being in the back room I was putting together the books that you get when you buy the deal then you get uh, this book that okay. here's what you got yeah. and, and I was back there putting them together and the sales manager came out and said man we need to get you on the sales room floor and, and, and I did and I made a we bunch just of fired money fired six guys have right now they don't it doesn't matter. Like you, it, it, you're nobody special to get a, that job, right? Because it's 100% commission. So they're not really too worried about, you know. Yeah, there's no not, cost to them yeah, if yeah. you fail. Very, right, li- yeah. Well, not none because it costs to bring the people in, right? Yeah. There's a cost for that premium. It's, it's a nasty business. Like it's a really nasty business. Yeah. And so once I figured out it was nasty, got out of there. And I wanted, I've always wanted to go racing. And so mm-hmm. I, I think I was 26 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just said, screw it. And I moved to Southern California, or actually the Bay Area. I had a buddy whose mom lived in Aptos. And she let me drive my van down there and park my van in front of her house. Of course she house. had a van. Yeah. Of course she had a and van. And so I lived yeah. in my van, my Astro van, <laughs> all-wheel drive. It's no big deal. It had Bilstein's on it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, Not don't a big worry deal. about it. <laughs> no GT Grant steering wheel. Hell yeah. Yeah, well, it was nice. It was a fast van. Yeah. It was yeah. pretty good. Anyway,
1: But still rocking the...
0: Uh, yes at this point a little bit No. I
1: mean, if you're doing timeshare sales you might have had to be I did I cleaned up for the timeshare
0: I was yeah, yeah I was I did yeah. I did I sold out man it was awful right. man and I was the dude in front that you know gave the whole thing and yeah. did the whole thing well you do Yay. Yo, it. Yeah. Ho, ho, ho. who's here yeah, yeah. Oh, it was yeah. awful it was but those skills I'll tell you what those douchebag sales guy <laughs> skills, those, those manipulative, you know, it's not, I don't tell anybody anything. I share uh, something with them, right? Yeah. That's, that's not right. That's all stuff that you've been trained, right? So it is super helpful <laughs> uh, for sure to bullshit. People, be a to, to be a douchebag sales guy to get someone to do something they're not certain yeah. think, if you think about it for a second right so if you're going to a timeshare presentation right you know you're going in for the free gift you know they're going to sell you something so before you go you sit down with your partner and you say i don't care what they're selling i don't care how much they, we are yeah. we know we are not buying anything, anything. Yep. we're not yep. buying anything we're leaving the checkbook home yeah. Right? Yeah. If you're okay. taking advantage right. of the free vacation or whatever correct you're yeah. coming yeah. Right yeah. and that's yeah. all we're doing right yeah. and so then somehow in the next hour and a half you gotta get them you're writing me a check for 15 grand right yeah, yeah. and i just did that right <laughs> you don't think i just i mean i you just got worked bro
2: <laughs> you just got worked and weirdly that's effective in motorsports right yeah and weirdly yeah interestingly enough yeah, yeah. right which, enough. Wait,
1: which requires <laughs> yeah, yeah not <laughs> which is worse not of course you're racing yes, yeah. but yeah, yeah. which requires less soul um sales or arrive and drive racing
0: oh uh, uh man that's huh <laughs> I would say, I say arrive and drive racing is, is, if you're really doing it at the professional level, that absolutely takes less soul. I mean, you have to have less soul to talk somebody into doing that than you do. Because yeah. here's the thing about timeshare is mm-hmm. that ultimately, if you use it, it's a pretty good product. Yeah. Dude, get you get to go to places, uh-huh. you get Still a bunch of different it. choices. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. you know, yeah. well, but we market it. This is the, this is the catch, Fairy right? Times. This is the catch. It's intentionally marketed toward people who can't use it. Yeah. because most timeshare companies aren't you buy week 52 and you own week 52. Mm-hmm. You own mm-hmm. the rights to a week's worth of time at a resort. Yeah. And so if they can show that the resort usage is below what, 100%, yeah, yeah, yeah. then they can keep selling memberships. Right, So they you can sell t- that
1: group on the less operating costs. Right, so they, so so they want to
0: sell the membership to somebody who can't use it. <laughs> That's the business. <laughs> uh, Love it, isn't yeah, it? So God, God, this country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yes. America. <laughs> Right
2: now, behind you is an American flag. <laughs> yeah, exactly, CGI exactly clothing. right, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: exactly right. So, most paths to professional motorsports are: they start as a mechanic, or they start as an engineer, or they started as a driver, and they eventually work their way into the sport. Or, rich guy. Or, or they started with wealth. <laughs> um, From the top down. Yeah, is the
0: best way to do it.
1: You're a guy who barely got his high school diploma, went on to become an Alaskan fisherman. <laughs> and a timeshare salesman in Seattle. A good one. <laughs> and somehow this leads to a story about IndyCar racing. Right, yeah. So yeah. En-
0: enough. The company that I was working for in Seattle, was uh sued by the attorney general for unscrupulous business practices <laughs> and some things of these nature okay and 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 i didn't like that man i was like all of a sudden i'm like, You're like you might go to jail yeah <laughs> yeah. Right. And, yeah. yeah this well, is, is bad, like a this is but, bad. Yeah, is, yeah. i'm telling you it's the same yeah. thing it yeah. is it is this is like arrived in the 80s mm. um and so yeah it was it was a bad gig i didn't like what i was doing man and so I literally i just i said i got it i got it and i've always wanted to race cars and i'm um, I'm going to be too old to do this if I don't do this right now, and I got no reason to not do it, and so I got rid of my house and put my stuff in storage and moved to uh, Aptos, started dropping resumes. at Skip Barber was at Laguna at the time still, and so I started dropping resumes there. Jim Russell was up at Sonoma, started dropping resumes there as well, and it was about seven or eight months of going back and forth between the two places before finally World Speed, Chuck West and Tilo Stewart, hired me in Sonoma. As the new team grunt, and,
1: and, and World Speed at the time was like the junior racing team. Yeah, they had Formula Mazda Formula the, Formula, yeah, big Formula yeah, yeah. Mazda program. Yeah. Fifteen yeah. Formula Mazda. Mod- yeah.
0: a Chuck was racing Atlantic at the time, so right. they had like a three-car Atlantic. They program were like the tail well.
1: coin of North American junior racing. Kind of, yeah,
0: kind of, exactly right, actually. And it was, it was a good spot to land, you know. And I'm, dude, I, this is the truth of the story too. I finally, I mean, and I've been dropping resumes for six months. As what? Uh, uh, as a like, job?
1: Yeah, what? Well, like you're dropping what? resumes. What are you trying to do?
0: Just hire me. Anything. Really. Just take so you'll me go on from a yet?
1: timeshare salesman to just being a shop grunt, and you're I'll okay with that.
0: Anything you got? Just get me on the team. Like I don't give. a it- I'm living in my van in front of my buddy's house. You know what I yeah. mean? And the unemployment, you know, is running out. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, least you were smart enough to get unemployment though. Well, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. and it, and that How did they stemmed send it to me... a van though.
1: Huh? How did they send it to a van? though? Well, that's a good call. Well, no, no,
0: no, no. They sent it to my mom. Oh, oh right. so your mom still yeah. got, got your checks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God bless okay. my mom. Did yeah, I Say, yeah, God bless just, my mom, yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'm gonna say that again. I'll say that again. Deadbeat kids living in his van
2: because he wants to be in racing. Yeah, he's
0: sending his checks to me. I got to go.
2: Unemployment checks are coming here now.
0: Deposit his check again. (laughs) yes so yeah mom's Uh, the best yes she's the best so yeah so finally got hired and when they hired me when Tilo hired me he said all right come back tomorrow I'm like yes I turn around and go walking out the door and he's like whoa 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 bro don't you want to know what I'm gonna pay you I'm like doesn't even matter man like I'm this is the best day of my life ever I just wanted to be in racing Mm -hmm. and so that's how I got hired and that's what I was hired 250 bucks a week as the shop grunt and my first job was scraping stickers off a trailer in the rain and I was ecstatic and all the other mechanics were standing at the doorway I'll never forget this I'm, on, I'm it's shaking I'm mm-hmm. getting shocked you know mm-hmm. the, the heat gun's got a frayed cord <laughs> and man and this is the best day ever this yeah. I can't Small. believe I'm working for yeah ah. and all the guys are standing in the old paddock idiot. yeah from the <laughs> inside and they're like check this idiot who out who's this Gomer literally yeah. who is yeah. this guy yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. so yeah. finally it's lunchtime i down off my ladder we come bounding mm-hmm. inside you know and I'm just like I'm, I'm the yeah. bubble of, yeah this is so great. Yeah. You no, know, life is amazing. And I'm, God, God, they hated you. They fucking hated no. you. I've like, been on teams where you're like, this asshole. Oh, dude. Like, I'm pissed. Completely. I, who is you this? You've hired these guys and you're that. like, don't be so happy to be right, here. Right. Yeah, <laughs> dude. And I know where you're at. I've been right there. We got to tone it down a tiny bit. You can't go to every. Uh, track and go to the store and get a shirt and wear it that night oh yeah we can't can't. yeah you were that guy yeah yeah uh, and I couldn't (laughs) believe it so stoked literally I come in I say the words can you believe we're getting paid to do this yeah yeah like genuinely those words I, I eat those words to this day because I said them 100% yeah, yeah. like I can't believe this. Yeah. this is the greatest day of my so, life so
2: we've all been that person like the first week in racing but, right. like how long did this uh, enthusiasm
0: keep going I, you know that was that was kind of what the problem was that I couldn't it took me a year oh, of, wow. of, of like really eating sandwiches <laughs> before I was like you know what <laughs> uh, Yeah. it's cool and everything still <laughs> there's an awesome shirt with all these patches on it and everything but Yeah. Fuck. yeah yeah, it was, yeah. it was, yeah, it was, it didn't take too long. And here's the thing. And, and, you know, God bless world speed and Tila Stewart. Right. But Chuck West was the owner at that time. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot I learned about how you don't do things there. There was a lot that was going on there that I learned a lot, man, as it, as the, the, the kind of, you know, in racing, they pray often on your passion right Mm. so you get guys who come work for nothing or literally for nothing and they'll do anything and they love it so much Mm -hmm. and i'm that guy right so i mean i tell me give me something throw the ball and let me go get the ball right and so I i got taken advantage of right later on i look back and i'm like man You know, I should have been remunerated a little bit better for that, or I shouldn't have done that in the first place, right? But I just did it out of passion. So I I try to, I mean, I I try to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. You know what I mean? So I do get guys like that, but I definitely take them aside and say, okay, A, we got to chill, and B, don't do something for nothing. Don't do nothing for nothing. Well, like if you're not
2: paying someone. It's hard to yell at them when they're working for free, right? Doggone right! I mean, you're sometimes yeah, yeah. paying someone to be able to yell at them or to be able to demand. To able what you least need. At, yeah, yeah. And okay. it's, yeah. it's
0: it's fair work for fair pay, man. Yeah. You know, at the end of the yeah, day, this is it's, it's a cool thing we get to do for a living, right? Yeah. I mean, it is super cool, but it's still a job. You're right. still getting paid, yeah. and you know, and you still have responsibilities. And if you meet those, then you should be paid for those. Yeah. How long were you at World Speed? Uh, it was an interesting deal. I did th- three years there. Mm-hmm. Three Just years. As a grunt. Yeah, as a grunt, yeah. and ended up getting uh, become the truck driver. I was the truck driver oh, for the Atlantic team, God. right? And then, uh, and then at Mid Ohio, uh, we were right? running. We were running on uh, Nicholas Rondé. Yeah, who was our driver, yeah. right? On Nico, yeah. and uh, having a reasonable year, but but the team was tough. And so at Mid Ohio, uh, the whole crew quit. Everybody, data, truck driver, mechanics. Everybody. The only guy that was left was the engineer. Yeah, because because we just was we were you know we were under budget to begin with, and then you know, owner would fly in and fly out, and we'd be left in the van with bad places to stay and not enough food. It was just it was just a really rough set of circumstances, right? And the only people who were made to suffer were the team members and not the owner, right? So that was one of the things that I took when I came to ownership was, man, you know, we all we all live and die together, right? We're doing this together, right? If yeah. if, if I'm going to ask you to eat a sandwich, I'm going to eat it with you, yeah. right? Or, or or we shouldn't have to eat it at all, right? So so at World Speed, I was there for three years. We all mutinied. I went to Hute uh, to Hilton Motorsports. Uh, Hoover Orsi, oh, yeah, won, won yeah, won a championship. It was yeah. a great year. Had a great yeah. time. At the end of that year, ran what th- year was this? This was like 01? Oh, yeah, oh one. Sorry, sorry. Something like that. Oh, two thousand or two thousand one, and then Chuck West. Uh, I ran into him at a uh, at a parts trailer mm-hmm. at a track at Homestead. I think we were, and he said, "Hey, dude, blew it. Would like to have you come back, you know, and we'll make you a manager." so i'm like well shoot so um, grunt
1: to truck driver to now team manager team manager in yeah, Atlantic.
0: exactly well yeah. i came back they hired me as a team manager <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was it was a pretty good and this was at hilton no and so i had left hilton because i would yeah. pigeonholed myself at hilton i really it was a bad deal yeah i was the truck driver that actually I was the hospitality van driver yeah. and that's all i was going to ever be at that place i see and actually uh marshall pruitt you guys know Marshall yeah yeah you know that guy yeah. um So old Marshall was the data guy for the team. This is kind of a funny story. Marshall was the data guy for the team and we brought Hoover out. Keith Hilton brought Hoover out at the last minute. So we were running another car and I can't remember who we were running in the other car. He was our full-time guy. And Hoover came out at the last minute. The 014 was the chassis that we were running at the time. But uh, uh, Keith had an 008 chassis that was an older chassis, just sitting in the trailer as a spare car. Brings Hoover out at the last minute, decides that Hoover's going to be uh, the driver of the car, puts mm-hmm. him in it. We don't have an engineer, we don't have a crew, so all of a sudden I go from being truck driver to I'm crewing on the car, and I'm the lowest man on the total pole. I'm the truck driver. I'm cleaning wheels. I'm worth. I'm the, the hospitality van driver. They didn't even let me drive the truck, right? I'm nobody, mm-hmm. right? And I'm a. I'm, I'm party boy. We're going out every night. We're going to the strip clubs. We're going to the oh, you really are having fun. We're having fun, the yeah. Life. I mean, uh, yeah. Per diem gone the first night, right? Yeah, and we're yeah. on the road for four weeks, you know. <laughs> yeah, but man, that first night was amazing. It's such a good time, you know. And I'm borrowing money from the truck driver. To I get miss racing. Yes, yeah, it was. It was great. So, in any case. So Hoover shows up and he's going to be fast and we got to do good. And all of a sudden I go from being clean the wheels to now, listen, you're the number two on this car. We got to make it go. We're going to move one of the guys over and Marshall, you're going to engineer the car. All of a sudden Marshall is, it's, it's a big time right and so one evening we're there we're getting the car ready and it's a shambles the car needs a lot of work and then we're pouring two foam no two-part foam seat i mean it's it's a it's definitely a half-ass last minute effort and uh and we're working on it and i'm being a douche i'm doo to do you know and singing and bouncing around and cleaning this and that and marshall pulls me aside and he pulls me aside and he says tyler listen man this is a library this isn't a f-ing tractor pull dude guys like you do not make it in this industry you need to put your head down and shut the up or you're going to be off this team right now. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm super, okay, I'm sorry. And I just, you know, I, I'm like quiet as a church mouse the rest of the weekend, right? You know, and man, it just really rattled me, right? I'm like, is that, his? so this is the best part. Fast forward 10 years, <laughs> and I owned an Indy car team or Champ Car team, right? <laughs> and across the old desk slides, the old resume. Hey, old buddy, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, queer, dude. We're not looking for anybody right now. This isn't enough. a library. Yeah, this is a party team this over here. Big Ghost yeah. Motorsports. Yeah, 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 remember, remember, remember that dude? That guy doesn't guy? have a shirt yeah, on. Yeah, sorry. All we do is raise tractor, pull, drive here man so <laughs> sorry I got nothing for you uh. yeah so yeah so any case <laughs> Yeah. 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 It 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 was pure just stupid unbridled joy to be doing what I was doing and I was stoked to be there and yeah. having a really good time yeah. and he didn't want to have any part of that cuz this mm-hmm. is business. We're serious, you know. Yeah. Because here's the thing is is when it's time to go racing, you don't take I mean you wouldn't work any harder or take it any more seriously or yeah. or or it wouldn't mean any more to you than if the world was going to end if you didn't do it. Yeah. I mean it yeah. is literally the most important thing in the world, right? Yeah. And So I respect that, but at some point you got to take a step back yeah. and go, yeah, dude, we're just hurrying up to get back to where we already were yeah. we are the She's pacific a, coast yeah. of
1: profitless ventures <laughs> in motorsports, <laughs> in motorsports. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing pacific coast
0: never turned to profit yeah, yeah, yeah. we broke even a lot though oh <laughs> shit okay all right so um go ahead so, you, say, so, so you do the hilton thing. so, you, 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 no. so hilton you, you move
1: up to being a, a number two mechanic at hilton hilton right. uh and mm-hmm. somehow you become a team manager okay. so
0: run into chuck I and did. so,
1: Chuck West, and what, what's Chuck West known for?
0: Chuck Day IrUS Day Jr. was okay. the owner and founder of Worldspeed. And so he was the owner when I was working for those guys. Also a reasonably accomplished Atlantic racer, I think finished Mm. on the podium a couple of times back in the day when Atlantic was Ralt 41s and that kind of thing. So pretty, pretty stout little racer himself. And then started a customer based company, uh, running Mazdas and, um, uh, Atlantic cars ultimately sold the company to Tilo Stewart. And it's still one of the bigger open wheel, lower level open wheel companies in the country. Actually, Mm. Tilo does a good job there. So, uh, so Chuck, where was I going with that story? That was your next your next job after that. Yeah, Delta. so yeah, I ran into teenager. him. Ran into him and I had done a pretty good job as the truck driver. And we had left under pretty right. uncool circumstances. Yeah, like a yeah. mutiny? F U. Drop the mic, yeah. right? Yeah. Midweekend? Exactly. Yeah, it was one exactly, huh. well, midweekend. We waited till the end of the weekend. Oh, good for you guys. And then I yeah. did as the truck driver drive his truck back to California. Oh. I was gonna leave it there, but I said, Okay, I'll drive your truck back <laughs> to California. So I did do that. So so we left on reasonable terms. And um uh and then he approached me and said, Man, we need somebody else. You did a really good job, would you consider coming back? And they offered me a manager's job and I took it. And I really had no business being a manager, to be honest. I had management experience from people, but I didn't know enough about cars or racing or anything and as a manager at a small team like that, you know, you've got two mechanics, an engineer, and a manager who buys all the flights and buys all the parts and takes care, basically runs everything else. And so it was trial by fire, and uh, I learned a lot in that year. And so we ran Grant Riley that year, and Grant had a uh, had an all right year. At the end of the year, they were not happy with the job that World Speed had done for them, so they switched to Lynx. Grant took his money and went to Lynx. Alex Figgy had been a customer of World Speeds about three years previous and this is when I was still working on the Mazda team and I was the low man on the totem pole And so the way Alex and I met was and this is kind of a cool deal um, he had showed up to test one of the Formula Mazdas and he had his handler this guy named Drew that was with him, Alex was 17 at the time and uh, they had told us that he'd done a bunch of racing in the past. That he'd, yeah, he'd already been at never been in a race car in his life before but they, they had said he had. So they built him in the Formula Mazda and we're the the the, the, the track our, our shop is right on site at the track, right? So they built him in the Formula Mazda, goes out does some laps, you know, figures the thing out, does does reasonably well, right? And then he pulls into the shop and he pulls right into the shop and stops right in front of the shop everybody else is still on the pit lane and I'm in the shop mounting tires by myself mounting tires mounting tires mounting tires look hey Alex what's going on okay cool mounting tires mounting tires he's still sitting in the car I'm like well. so I walk over I'm like hey dude is everything okay he's like yeah uh, you don't know how to do your belts dude <laughs> he didn't know how to get click out. yeah he yeah. couldn't get out of the car like genuinely couldn't get out of the car so that's how we met one another right mm-hmm. he's like maybe we don't tell anybody about that and i'm like maybe we don't That yeah. sounds good <laughs> cool so we instantly yeah, had a bond a bond right yeah. off the bat exactly right so fast forward to the end of <clears throat> 2001 grant Riley switching teams to link's World Speed doesn't have a program. I'm the manager of the program. I run into Alex and Tom at Laguna Seca the last race of the year and I tackle them basically. And I'm like, guys, you gotta come back, Alex, let's go race in Atlantic cars. We got a great program here. It'll be da 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 da. da. And I coerce them into coming to World Speed and basically put that car on the track for the program, right? So right. it keeps my job, keeps the program going. And we do two thousand and two uh together at World Speed. Right. And so
1: you so Alex Figgy Joins World Speed because you, as the team manager, sold him on being part of this. Other For team. sure. Right. Tom
0: used to laugh. He'd tell a story about that. That boy tackled me in the in Laguna Seca, and he put me in a headlock, and he wasn't going to let me leave until yeah. I was
2: said I'd go racing with so these boys. So you were boys. still that overly enthusiastic dickhead
0: for sure yeah for sure with a bunch of timeshare sales experience who was who, who needed yeah. the program to, yeah. needed this guy to save the program right
2: but also one critical
1: thing which all three of us know from the world we now live in in sports car racing mm-hmm. once you've sold a potential client driver on a thing you're now their guy and so they'll go with you usually if you treat them right regardless of the program
0: well and that's the thing about racing you know it's not you're not doing business with anybody you're joining a team And the whole mindset behind that is totally different. So you watch guys that are willing to, you know, in their business, they'd never think twice about um, uh, being accepting of that kind of performance or that kind of a failure or that kind of a mistake. But when you're on the team, you're going to take one for the team. Like it's the oldest saying in the book. And literally that's the mindset. So guys who know how to pray on that, whether they're doing it intentionally or not, it's, you know, you. Every, all for one and one for all right. we win and lose together that right. whole thing right so it's it's easy to get caught up in that for yeah. sure
1: so you have this funny interaction with Alex Figgy as a junior driver years prior with Yours World prior. Speed. Yeah. So you you convinced him to go to Atlantic Racing with World Speed?
0: More or less, that's correct, yeah. yeah. They weren't necessarily happy with the job they had done at World Speed previous to that. They'd gone and done some monster racing at another spot, ready to take the next step to Atlantic. And with me being there and sort of, you know, working things out, and the engineer that we had at the time was Mike Doyle. That was a guy he'd worked with in the past, had some success with. So all those two things together resulted in him coming to the team, yeah. But had I not been there, I don't think they would have come back to World Speed for sure. Man, why did you want him so bad? <laughs> like, he
2: ran the guy down and put him in a headlock. Why?
0: Because uh, that's what we – because the team wasn't going to live next year. You know, we didn't have a program for the next year, and Chuck didn't have anything in line that was going to happen, and we had a monster program. But, man, Atlantic racing, you know, to me at that time, that was the – man, it was a big deal. It was the biggest deal, right? It meant a lot. And so I wanted to save the program, and it was a serendipity. They, there they were. It was already an Atlantic race. You know, holy these are the guys that can do it. He's in the right spot at the right time. And you know, Alex was kind of what you always look for in racing, right? I mean, he's got the resources to go racing and he's got some speed, dude. He's actually pretty freaking fast. He can do this, right? You know? If I could just get him to not be a party monster and have an You
2: get him to not be a party
0: monster. Well that was part of my well, job. You knew it. Yeah, that yeah. that was that was therein lies the, the, the crux of my relationship was I was the go between between Tom and Alex. I was the guy whose job it was to take Alex and make him into a race car driver but also I mean I'm his life coach and all these other things in the interim as well right
1: but we actually see this a lot of times when when young guys come from wealth into a race team a lot of times they will have a sponsoring parent right who looks to a race team or some sort of mentor within the team to help keep their kid in in line because as a parent there's only certain things they can get away with correct
0: correct well and and Alex is going to listen to me and I've got a communication level with him that's completely different from his dad's but his dad's got a direct line of communication me because his dad's writing the checks you know what I mean <laughs> yeah I mean, and, and so uh, but uh, I really believe I to this day believe you know I mean had Alex had a little more to lose in the name of things he would have been more of a driver than he was he just never had to pay any consequences for a bad performance right you know he was still going to be okay and still had a nice apartment and all those things right you know that's so but ultimately stupid fast like I mean whether it was John Fogarty or Ryan Dial, or, you know, proper race car drivers, Alex would be as fast or faster regularly. So it was, it was a cool deal. And I owe a lot to those two guys, Alex and his dad, because they were the ones who, so they come to world speed. We do the year at world speed at the end of the year. The issues that they had with the owner were the same issues they had at the end of the year. And so they come to me and they say, dude, we're going to do our own thing and we want you to run the show for us. Do you want to do this? And I'm like, of course, let's go do this. So, uh, cool. I'm gonna be the manager of the team that the Figgies own, and we're gonna go do this whole thing. And so we start looking at buying trailers and getting a shop. And Tom lives in carp or he lives in um, uh, uh, Tom lives in um, uh, Montecito. Okay. <laughs> small little house up on the hill in Montecito. Tom r- Figgy r- lives in a small house. No, uh, not a small house. Okay, <laughs> I was like, and and was it, no such about. thing as small houses in Montecito, yeah, right. by and, the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just to put this
1: in perspective, Montecito is the Upscale part of Santa Barbara. <laughs> Correct.
0: Yeah. yeah, where Oprah lives. Yeah, no, we looked down on Oprah. His property. They were like, "Oh, there's there's Oprah's house down there." Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, he uh, so, okay. yeah, was. It was a beautiful home, really cool spot. I don't know what
2: their – where does their money come. It doesn't have to come in the thing in the uh, show, but like, banking, <laughs>
0: banking. they, you know, they, other they money. <laughs> people's work. Yeah, exactly. Davenport Bank and Trust. Old money. They were yeah, Got it. Old money. Exactly. Yeah, actually, true. Tom's dad, V.O., yeah. was the one who actually earned all the money. Okay. So Tom was the son, and and Alex. Interesting side note about Alex: adopted.
2: I had heard this before. Adopted yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. actually
0: yeah. Uh, spent two years as about a nine-year-old in child services protection because the mom came back, came back yeah. and said, "Hey, I want some money."
2: Yeah. Oh, f- yeah, I bet you And did. so then, yeah, they, yeah. and
0: then they finally paid her some money, and then Alex was released. Wow. But yeah, so interesting yeah. childhood that yeah, he had. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, a lot of privilege, but not, not, not an easy deal, dude. Yeah. And super smart. Yeah. One time we're sitting in the driver's lounge, and it's me and John Fogerty and uh, Alex Gurney and Luis Diaz yeah. and Dave Empringham and myself. Yeah. All right, and we we and we have a. 20 bucks a piece in the thing and we're doing a iq test <laughs> online iq test yeah, yeah. dude we were all in the 130s right in there supposedly mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. alex was like 152 dude he crushed all of us yeah. it wasn't even close
2: so the three of us all remember forming Atlantic in that era as a big big deal what was it like what was the atlantic scene what what was it who was it and why was it so important
0: Hey, you know, it was uh, uh, so thankful to have been a part of that whole thing. It was really a juggernaut of uh, really talented people, really talented drivers. And if you get on the list of Atlantic drivers and where they are today, I mean, it's it's staggering, yeah. the number of people and championships. And, and so at that point, they're all together. They're all young guys with something to prove. And then you've got a, 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 a litany of teams, not one team with a big budget. You've got five teams with all unlimited budgets like yeah. literally almost spending war contests
1: every one of these drivers is going to some big form of champ car racing
2: or sports car or whatever exactly it right it yeah. is the feeder series two indy car
0: 100 and it is stacked it is stacked it is stacked and to do well there to win races there to win a championship there is a baller move like you are you are you know it's triple a ball right and it is it's 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 one step below the big majors and, and at that time it was you know, all, no holds barred. Lots of open areas for competition, you know. So you had open clutches, open, you know, uh, diffs, open uh, shocks, you know. And there was guys moving pickup points on suspension. I mean, it was it was really it – was, it was some big-time stuff, you know. So to do well there, um, uh, it was doing well for sure. And so it was a good place, to, good place to, you know, sort of make my bones, so to speak.
2: So at the end of the year with World Speed, the Figgies come to you and say, hey, we're unhappy here, but we like you, and we want to go start a program with you.
0: Correct. That was 20 20- – 2002. 2002. End yeah, of 2002. Yeah. Yep. That was
2: 20 years ago. Yep. You've been doing this since the 90s. How often does that happen?
0: Man, never. Once in my career. Yeah, yeah. One time, you know, and, and it was the the golden goose. Man, I've got a kid here who's got ability. I've got a dad who basically trusts me blindly, right? Like, here's the open checkbook. All we want to do is win. You're in charge of making that happen. Just go do it and buying a new truck, and getting a new shop, and picking out exactly who I wanted, and equipment, and and it was amazing, everybody should get to go racing like that, it was f***ing awesome, so awesome, man, and we did extremely well, you know, so we went in our first year as a single car team, um, <clears throat> did all right, you know, had a podium finish, it wasn't really where we wanted to be, blossomed in 2004, then to a two car team, brought on a guy like John Fogarty, which was, that was sort of the juggernaut. But, you know, the interesting thing was Alex ended up winning our first race for us in Monterey, which was Bedlam then afterward. That was a pretty reasonable night of celebration there <laughs> afterward. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, he could run with John anytime he wanted to. It was just that the last little bit. Like I say, if he had a little more, I mean, because when we'd finish an Atlantic race, you know, Alex was, would go to his, you know, um, condo. On the beach in you know Santa Monica, on the top floor where his neighbor was Britney Spears. And that's not this is not a joke. That's exactly what we do. And then 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 from there he moved to a twenty five thousand square foot you know estate in Beverly Hills where he started his record company, right? And we would As go. As you do. Yeah. And Yeah. We, you know, would, we, yeah well, we would go to you know I'd go down and meet him and have to make sure Tom said, go down there and go out with him for the night and see what's going on. So I'd go out with him for the night. And we'd,
1: oh, so you're Tom spy. I
0: am. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm I'm going and we pull in front of the nicest whatever, zing or bow or chow, whatever one name bar it is in downtown <laughs> LA, you know, <laughs> Groove, whatever the one name, right? Old man out of it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull in front of that thing, you know, and out we get and out comes the owner. Oh, Mr. Figgy, nice to meet you. And we walk to our private table and sit down with our thing. you know I mean? And all of this is it's just, it's it was it was it was an amazing experience for sure. But had Alex been a little more focused, had he been the man then that he is today, with a wife and kids and kind of a, 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 a more, a little more focused, I think he could. I think he could have been a pro racer, like a real proper pro racer. But uh, he just didn't, uh, he didn't didn't get there. Mm-hmm. Did you see the pictures? There was a picture in there of an 18 van. Did you yeah, see the picture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was one of our projects.
1: <laughs> that' was just something else I you did at the
0: shop just, that was, no, that, that was one it. of it it was for fun Can you literally make me an A-team van? ran into the guys who ran the shop that um in a, in a bar in la <laughs> that that did all of the bodywork for the A-team van and they're like dude we still got the original molds we got you bro fact, so we went literally got online found a beat sh- Eighty-six GMC van shipped it down to these guys. You know, forty thousand dollars, and six months later, here comes the eighteen van. So then we send it to another shop. You know, five hundred horsepower crate motor, Gotta turbo front transmission, yeah, posi track. Totally. You know, like disc brakes all the way around. I think it was a f- monster. And he's driving around LA. like yeah, And this. then we just drove around for fun. Yeah, <clears <laughs> <clears <throat> just drove around for fun. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, yeah. Our, that was our toy. A yeah, future Indy car driver. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. He sounds awesome, man. And so between. His dad wanted to go racing proper, and Alex wanted to have a good time, you know, and a guy like John Fogarty producing results, right, with proper crew. It was literally, I mean, it was seven or eight years of the best time, the most fun, huge success, because it didn't matter. We weren't in the business of racing. We were in the sport of racing. We were literally here to do as good as we could every weekend, no holds barred. And, and not very many people get to go racing like that. It's really fun, and you get to be successful.
1: So just to put this in context, so 2002, the Figgies have you start up a new team for them, right. Pacific Coast <clears throat> Motorsports, right. because they live on the Pacific Coast. Yep. One year later, you guys are already champions.
0: Yeah, basically. We did one year as a junior team, and then 2004, we won the championship in the Atlantic Series.
1: With John Fogarty. Yep.
0: Yeah. that's kind of, it's a two-year-old team, but with guys on it, you know, I'd been in the series at that point for over 10 years, nine years, and so I knew who, knew what, all of that kind of thing. And, and so it was... Uh, it was not as quick as you might think. And this is a funny side note. So how do I become the owner of Pacific Coast? I'm supposed to be the manager of Pacific Coast, right? So Tom says, hey, let's let's go meet my attorney. It's October. We've already decided we're going to start this team. Haven't named it yet or anything, but let's go meet my attorney. And, and this
1: is in end of 02.
0: This is end of 02, correct, yeah. October of 02. And so I go to Montecito to meet with Tom and his attorney to find out how we're going to do things. So I go and sit down, and uh, then we start talking about stuff. And, and Tom's attorney says, Tom. Do you really want to own a racing team? And Tom's like, well, I don't know. I mean, why? He's like, man, there's a lot of liabilities that come along with that. A lot of things. My suggestion would be, let's make Tyler the team owner. Let's <laughs> turn to you. Let's make Tyler yeah. the team owner, yeah. and he has nothing. Yeah, this we'll, yeah. guy. We'll run. We'll run the. will run yeah. the business as a break-even. He'll simply bill you for everything. We'll include his salary as part of the deal, and and so that will give you another layer of insulation to any liabilities that might arise. And Tyler, you want to be the team owner, don't you? Oh. Oh. <laughs> of course I do. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Three years ago, I was driving a truck. Yeah, I was going to say, so like
1: just a few years earlier, yeah. you were peeling stickers off a truck. million, billion percent. The year before you were a timeshare salesman. Correct.
0: Yeah. Actually, the year before I was living in a van collecting unemployment. And the yeah. year before that, I was selling timeshare. Yeah, right. And before and that,
2: Alaskan fisherman.
0: Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep, correct. And yeah. Now yeah. You're L- little framing of some houses in between there. a Little cabinetry work. Yeah. You're a bum. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> a, <laughs> bum. a bum. yeah. I'm <laughs> exactly a bum. Get a bum. that's exactly right. Yeah. Literally. That's exactly right. Your
1: mom is depositing <laughs> your your unemployment checks for you because yeah. you're living in a van. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Down by the river. Down by
0: the river. One hundred percent, dude. Me and my dog. Got my drum set down there. We're playing music every night in the garage. No big deal. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Life's good, yeah, bro. And, yeah. Boy, I own an IndyCar team. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, got,
0: so. got my med card. I'm all set to go, dude. Everything's amazing. <laughs> California is awesome.
1: And so at this point in your career in 2002, you are now legally an Atlantic team owner. Atlantic
0: Car Team uh, owner
1: with some of the biggest names in American Open Man, Wheel. Man,
0: Big Carl Rousseau. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, yeah. So uh, Lynx was owned by um, uh, Peggy and the Haas, the Haas ladies. Family. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. all yeah. Levi money yeah. right there. You yeah. know, You've got the Dorcots running yeah. under that program. Yeah. And you, I mean, you got some big. You got uh, DSTP and yeah. Didi Rogers. God rest her soul. Yeah, God rest yeah. her the soul. Best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you had some ballers there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And some yeah. big name teams. And uh, and yeah, so and then then that's how I found myself going to my first team owners meeting as a team owner you know and people going again, WTF? yeah, wtf yeah, yeah 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 you know but yeah. Yeah. uh he was parking his rig earlier literally yeah. really oh, yeah. i'm still driving my own truck to the track that's yeah, a cool yeah, right. thing yeah, yeah team owner drives yeah, yeah. me and carlos bobeta that's it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling so, you.
1: so normally when a race team starts you know the logo <laughs> is some sort of classy version of their name or the logo is is you know some sort of emblematic concept of of class and high energy and yeah. pacific coast motorsports what was it
0: so that was a surfboard <laughs> it's a surfboard logo is what it is and uh, and that was tom wanted to be he wanted to endorse and embrace the west coast there was nobody else out there he wanted the team and so his house was in montecito so our first building was the shop was in carpinteria
1: which it's is very close, close to, to montecito, santa barbara and montecito. montecito okay.
0: like santa barbara montecito carpinteria coast ventura right so we're we're at right a rincon point and, and and it's a great little spot and this building is a 2500 square foot box so we find a spot behind an old seven up delivery place right uh, distribution <laughs> yeah, house and they've got yeah. their shop in the back where they work on the trucks well the place is shut down now and so we were able to rent this shop in the back and so it's literally i mean you walk out the back of the shop and you throw a rock and it lands in the ocean yeah, i mean it is yeah. on the bluffs right on is this amazing spot and that's where our shop was so i mean i'm i'm, I'm <clears throat> I'm an Atlantic team owner. I'm running a two-car team with a former champion who's winning a championship again, right? You know, I've got all the greatest guys. I've got an open checkbook. We're killing it, dude. i got this amazing shop. It's, man, I mean, it's like a, every day I can remember walking outside and standing on this. We had a, a, a picnic table that was right on the edge of the thing, and I would stand on the picnic table. It was amazing. <laughs> I was trying to play a cool so like, cool, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, stand on the edge of, and, and put my arms up in the air and say, thank you. Like, this is amazing. Like, what, the f- what did I do deserve this? And this is amazing. Like, it's going amazing so we win the championship that year right it's all just easy as pie everything's going like we want it to and so then the end of 2004 comes and we're like okay what's next you know what's the next step for Alex and Tom doesn't really want to go champ car racing or Indy car racing at the moment and we want to take another step and uh and so I meet up with some guys that are um Mike he runs Mid America Motorworks, which is a Corvette place out in the Midwest, Effingham, okay. Illinois. Okay. Effingham, yeah, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, It's a, it a bad place. This guy's got, got a bow tie for a swimming pool, right? Like, <laughs> Jesus, not Christ. Wait, is that real? For real, like, bow bow tie for a swimming pool. Chevrolet bow tie is the shape. Yeah, of a I got that pool. part. Yeah, but yeah, no, yeah. Okay. Effingham, Illinois. Yeah, and so and yeah. his two boys, correct, his two sons, young sons, done a little Formula Mazda racing. He's got this Corvette program. He's like, dude we meet up with him let's do a two-car pro- corvette program i'll put my boys in the car you put alex and ryan in the car we'll be a two-car program we're going to buy the old corvettes i got connections at gm let's go do it so we do so that's the direction we had so right. i talked tom into we're getting this other gt1 corvette we're going to meet with pratt miller like this is all going to be amazing right. we're going to go kick butt so the next awesome. step
1: from atlantic for you then becomes gt1 racing in the american Le Mans series correct yeah,
0: yeah because that seems like a logical next step right why not <laughs> you know well, yeah. totally like similar to- totally yeah. similar totally similar it's same. same thing, it's yeah, kind yeah. of the same thing yeah. basically Yeah. yeah. and yeah. So, so so we do that right <laughs> um, and, and of course we know the most and we're the best because we're an open yeah. wheel and team the and the private teams always beat the factories oh, always yeah. do Always, always, always older, do. in yeah. particular yeah. In when you're running the same uh, item as the factory and you're yeah. getting all your parts from the factory that's yeah. your best opportunity to <laughs> beat the them. factory yeah. you're definitely going to get saying? their best stuff you're going to get it for sure because that's what they do the customer comes first everybody knows this in racing dude everybody knows this and so yeah so we end up with a an older car we were told we're going to get this new car we get the three year older car mm-hmm. we're told a number of things were going to happen that didn't happen including mike and his boys at the last minute go ah sorry it's a way higher figure than we thought we we're gonna to have to spend in and, racing yeah so they don't go so we end up as a one car team in with with the corvette and we have a, a car that's older that's not nearly what we said it was we've got a tire deal for some guys that aren't you know uh aren't nearly as competitive as the main tire in the series and we are that was for us He did did that for us i did yeah yeah continental appreciates it i want i appreciate i appreciate (laughs) them as well so we don't need to you know so in any case so we 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 didn't have we didn't have the right rubber on the car didn't stand a chance didn't stand a chance and 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 so we went out there and trudged through a season of of misery starting with in sebring you know gonna finish on the podium as our first race out and this is after you know they ran us they want us to run penske shocks but we're olins guys and we think the olins are better shocks so we've got our own shock package on like Mm -hmm. we're completely going off the map from what they tell us we're supposed to do yeah and we're still running reasonably competitive against them right and so that wasn't cool i guess and so uh whatever we had an upright that failed don't end up finishing on the podium at that race. And that just kinda of was spelled out the whole season for us. It was just a whole bunch of could have's and what ifs and should have's and there was some reasonable competition. There was a factory effort from Master Martin. The S seven was running mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. There was a um, uh a uh Did the Maserati come around? Maserati yeah. was yes, over, it yeah, came around yeah, a couple yeah. three races that blew man, that car was pitching yeah, right Man, yeah. it sounded amazing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So it was a reasonable G T one field. Yeah. It was a tough lesson, man. You know, and at the end of the year, <clears throat> We had decided even before the end of the year that we were wasting our money doing this, that we're pissing in the wind trying to beat these factory efforts. Grand Am offered up a pretty good thing. Pontiac through the GM connection with Chevrolet and Corvette came to us and said, we'll put a good engine program together for you. We did a deal with Paul Hasselgren, so sort of Mm -hmm. back to the Atlantic days. He did all our Atlantic engines, so we did a deal with him to do the engine. And so we switched. At the end of the year, we washed our hands of the Corvette. And the
2: one thing I remember specifically was, like, those guys are having a lot of fun. Man. Like, all the crew guys seem to be really getting along. I mean, it looked like guys that wanted to hang out and oh there's a race car that we got to work on too a million percent And you guys were getting it done with what you had like pit stops were good strategy was good it was it was a really proper run program i was in the middle of the worst year of my life (laughs) the worst year of my career i still call it that to this day and i'd look over and here's all these young dudes from california that are riding skateboards and bmx bikes in the paddock right and i was like i want to do that like that looks
0: fucking awesome it was yeah
2: you guys looked like you're really getting into it it was
0: ridiculous And, and and that was the you know i talk about the things that i learned at world speed that that you know, the and and there was something to learn everywhere. But that was one of the things is that man, I would look around the paddock, being at the worst yeah. program that I'd ever been yeah. at. Going, man, if I that's where I want to be. Yeah. I want to be doing it yeah. like that. So when I got the opportunity to do that, man, it was full bore. Yeah, and we did. We had yeah. a blast. It was the most fun. And you can go back and talk to almost any one of the guys who worked with us over that window of time, and they'll tell you, dude, one of the best, if not the best, time I ever had. Just because it was purely about fun and racing yeah that was it yeah there was nothing else yeah
2: no we we were i mean i'd driven the year before i'd raced a couple years and then i had like nothing so now i'm a disgruntled driver back to working on race cars oh, man. and i look over at your team and it's all these young dudes having a blast and i was yeah. like
0: F- i do want to do that yeah no we go out drinking with you guys <laughs> yeah. it was like where the bcm guys going, yeah, that's right? exactly go because right. yeah, i'm buying yeah. i'll tell you that
2: for <laughs> sure dude i'm buying thanks papa figgy yeah for yeah. sure yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but you guys are having a good time we did and then you decide to go dp racing and at that point dp is like the thing it is and you see folks. Really go over there, and he's yeah. killing it. Well, yep. you did a year of Rolex GT, or a half year of Rolex GT. What was that? Well, I thought that was after. I thought you guys did the DP first and then the GT car.
0: No, no, we did. No, we did them both at the same time. Oh, okay. The DP car and the GT car happened all in one year. Okay. So we ended up actually, because Alex and Ryan... Mm-hmm we driving the DP car mm-hmm. and Dave would come in and moonlight with us because John had already gone to do, I think he was with the lizards at that point, driving a Porsche. At
2: okay. That point, yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. He's he LG was car. exactly yeah, right. Yeah. And car.
0: so, and then in the, um, um, GTO, that was a deal that we put together with Pratt Miller. There was some GM money that came along mm-hmm. with that. Boris, I was able mm-hmm. to get Boris to drive, um, Ross Thompson brought some money right. yeah, and yeah. that was going to be a, that was going to be a basically a customer effort because mm-hmm. we had a whole other truck right I mean I had a whole other truck sitting there I was like Tom let's buy this car let's we can put a, a customer effort together so the GT effort was really meant to be a customer effort it was a pretty good effort yeah. we had some pretty yeah. good success with it and uh, and that's where I you know Boris right I, we need a driver call the guy up I'm like hey dude can you drive he's like you bet what am I driving <laughs> it's my kind of driver you know yeah, what I'm saying right, like yeah. the answer is yes yes yeah, exactly absolutely. I love that yeah. I love that so so you had
1: this amazing opportunity moving into the sports car side of things, something I think anybody who's ever been behind the scenes would dream of, where you're running a team and you've got somebody in Tom Figgy, Alex's dad, just kind of going with it and saying, Yeah, okay, let's write a check and let's see if it goes. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So and there's and, very and, little risk for you in this process. Zero.
0: Yeah. No risk along the whole thing. And that's the thing is that I never had to that was the this is the big lesson that I learned going from being a guy who runs a team that's in the sport of racing going to be a guy who's trying to run a team that's in the business of racing. Yeah. And they're two entirely different animals, right? When yeah. you're in the sport of racing, your budget's determined by what you need. And literally you call up and say, Hey, we need to do this. Here's why we need to do it. Here's what it's going to cost. Okay. Done. Shoot. That's, you're not working very hard for that. You're just getting to go do what you want to do. All of a sudden when you have to change that over to, you know, I've got a budget of a million dollars and I've got a net a hundred grand at the end of the year and that thing, man, that's a different animal entirely. You know, and in proper racing, if you really go racing properly, every resource you have is going to make that car go faster. So a proper racing program at best breaks even, probably loses money. A proper racing program that really tried its hardest <laughs> to go racing and win, right? Whereas a racing business, you've got something's got to, you know, in order to put a little money in your pocket and make mm-hmm. a profit, you're not going to be as fast as you could have been. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, those yeah, are the, Those are yeah. the facts, right? Yeah. So
0: to, to be a profitable pro racing team means you're probably a mid-pack guy.
2: Yeah, yeah right yeah I like that thought I like that theory you guys end up in Grand Am right it's probably yeah. the hardest time Grand Am's ever been to win wasn't
0: well, we had a good sponsor you <laughs> know we right. had a deal going on with Playboy yeah we had a, it was it was a really got good deal got to meet deal. Hugh Hefner got to hung out with Hugh, went to the mansion, yeah. went to a couple of parties at the mansion, like the, all those things that you want to check on a box. That was a pretty cool deal. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> wife didn't come, you know, nah, so, don't worry about it, baby next year. We're doing it again next year. <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> It didn't end up happening. Of course. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting deal for sure. Uh, 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 it was really competitive. A lot of really good teams, a lot of guys that had gone Atlantic racing. You see mm-hmm. a lot of those teams over there, Mike Shank, the guys from Lynx, you know, and on, yeah. uh, you know, the Cameron brothers mm-hmm. were all over there. Yeah. Uh, uh that whole team that was running under um, um, Gaines Co yeah right that was all yeah. former Atlantic guys right yep. Kyle and all those guys mm-hmm. were former Atlantic guys so uh, really high level competition and uh, had we just stayed there and done our thing, you know, we paid our first year dues. Uh, we were had a development motor program with Paul Hausgren, which was way different from anybody else. Everybody else was running CRD, CCDR. There was another team yeah, that I CRD. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Were, that were that were that, yeah. and that's who everybody ran that had a Pontiac, right? right. And we were the only guys that had our own program. And so that needed to develop, and had we given that another year, had we just stuck it out there, I think things would have ended a lot differently for Pacific Coast, but uh, we just we didn't. So, the end of that year, getting toward the end of that year, uh, Tom and Jennifer, his wife, Tom out and Jennifer Figgy are in Aspen, to one of their homes, and they're out to dinner one night, and Kevin Kalkoven happens upon them and they're... who's the
2: champ car boss at that time he yeah. owns
0: champ car and he's a big player in, in motorsport was for about a five-year window a time and then he just sort of disappeared but for five years he was a guy. A, a big guy in, yeah. in, in motorsport he ran into them at dinner one night and 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 in, aspen. in aspen purely
1: coincidence purely just coincidental the biggest giant biggest guy in champ car racing happens to be in the just the same restaurant Cause the, as the figgies
2: well, wealthy and, people hang out in the same
0: areas that's correct and and, and it's and, 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 and it's still just 1% so even if there are a lot of wealthy people it's still not that many people you know what I mean <laughs> and so literally by chance they run into one another and he sells Jennifer on Champ Car
2: so, so Kevin Kalkovan understood that if the wife is interested in the guy's
0: hobby that it's a it done might deal. work out it's yeah. and he yep. sold I mean the guy's got a lot of money so he clearly knows what he's doing in one form or another and yeah. so, so he did and so that's what exactly what he did effectively he I don't want to say coerced but gave them enough good reasons to want to do it that they did and so that was it so we showed up uh, we had a big team meeting mm-hmm. and they said here's what we want to do And we were all like, you know, we'd been Atlantic racing, so we know what champ car is. And we this is a, this is a, a, like, guys, we're not fooling around here. This is a big step. Are you sure that's what you want to do? Talked about it, talked about it. And sure enough, that's what we wanted to do. So at the last race of the year in Grand Am, it was a nine hour, the first nine hour race they had in Salt Lake. uh, We announced that we're going champ car racing. And that's what we did, you know. And then we started buying, you know, I mean, I wrote a, I got to write a million dollar check. I wrote a million dollar check to Panos for two Panos, We about four Panos cars and eight engines and shocks. And I mean, it just, it was bedlam, right? Uh, That's timing, a massive investment. Yeah. Timing and scoring stands and fueling rigs yeah. And, and, yeah. and all of this is, you know, I mean, uh, the redhead for a Nindy mm-hmm. car is fifteen thousand dollars. One of them
2: to basically make the car have fuel put in it. Correct. In yeah, yeah, a pit stop, yeah.
0: and you have to have four of those. Yeah, we gotta. Because yeah. you gotta have the main one. You gotta, you gotta have, have a backup. spare, yeah. and you got two timing and scoring stands. That's actually, right. running two cars, right? Yeah. So, and we've got two guys. You know, I mean, rookie drivers, rookie engineers, rookie team, and this is our fourth year in a row. I remember we we're Atlantic champions, yeah, and then we're like, we're oh, let's go GT one racing. Oh yeah, let's go. You know, GT yeah, cars. Yeah, no big deal. Oh let's just go Champ car, right? no big deal. Yeah, We're just, we're just. I'd keep it interesting, right?
1: And 2007 was, at the time the rebirth of the series
0: for champ car it truly was a rebirth for champ car because they had a brand new car they had a group of series they were they were you know uh being more a road course centric series going to be lean a little bit more toward the european end of things they had a guy in kevin kalkova and had the money to do it and we had a number of really good venues still so with the new car it breathed a lot of new life in the series the irl didn't have a new car at the time so it was that was supposed to be the thing and that was the impetus for us to get in there was like okay with this new car everybody's starting off with a clean sheet of paper right we don't have these you know going against teams that have these logs of data for years of running these cars beforehand so that was part of the impetus was that hey listen new car we've got the capability we've done well in open wheel racing before that's where we've come from let's go ahead and do this Uh, uh, we become a champ car team go to my first team owners meeting, you know, and we've spent a lot of money and a lot of time. Like it was really a lot, uh, hired, hired Michael Harvey as our team manager and we started buying stuff and man, I mean, it was as fast as we could buy it. And the in the meantime, we're waiting for chassis to show up. We're going to go do our first shakedown in Sebring. And it's a lot, you know, and we're going from a, a, a 12 man, uh, a, you know, LMS, I mean, uh, uh, uh grand am team right A couple of guys 12 guys i think is what we had full-time we're 25 guys you know full-time and then you know at the race weekends we were closer to 35 guys right and tire guys and truck drivers and you know data guys and engineers and technical directors and man it was it was a lot and we ramped up with the intention of it being a long-term deal like this is it we know that we're gonna have to eat crow for a couple of years before we get to learn the series learn the cars all that kind of thing and tom made um overtures that that's where he was cool with right like that's i get it too that's, that makes perfect he's not sense. expecting
2: it's, an overnight success correct
0: that's at least that's the way we went into the deal was that being the case um and so we we went and pursued pursued it right and uh at the end of 2007 it was a rough year you know before the end of the year uh we asked ryan to leave and we put mario in the car uh we had a couple of spots where alex got hurt so roberto moreno hopped in the car at one point for us um I'm trying to think who else jumped in the car we had Paul Tracy come down and do some workforce as well because we were really struggling with the cars. Um, uh, Justin Wilson, man, and the whole guys that, that whole thing going over there at, at um, uh, yeah, man, they were they were there were a lot of guys that were really helpful us to try and get us up to speed as quick as we could. When Champ Car said when Kevin said I'm done, I'm filing bankruptcy and it's all over, Kevin, I mean uh, Tom and Jennifer felt I mean they felt they'd been swindled. They felt like they'd been just lied to outright, you know, and they had been. So w- summary on
2: that yeah I was gonna say we should get a little more detail on the 07 thing so yeah. you, you guys start out in 07 with the champ car program it's brand new brand new all new equipment you got to double your workforce you're taking on one of the hardest open wheel series in the history of open wheel racing pretty much doesn't go amazing
0: no we struggle from the get-go you know, trying to get our heads wrapped around the cars, trying to get all of the team uh, components to deal with one another, you know, whether it be from the mechanics to the engineers, the data guys, you know. And it's interesting how when you get guys that have a lot of experience in that end of because that's what you want, there are a number of things, culture things that come along with that, right? So, you know, like, tech. I mean, traditionally in IndyCar... The mechanics don't like the engineers, and the engineers don't like the mechanics because these assholes make us stay late and they do. You know, what do you A, f- a 25 pound spring change on the right front corner, you know? At, uh, Roy, Nine Finger Roy, his favorite saying was that's two fifths of five eighths of f- all, man. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, is 0. 0.25. t yeah, yeah. That's a new yeah, t shirt idea. Yeah. 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 That's so, so in any case. Yeah. So we had a, a lot of cultural issues to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have, as you pointed out before, that the culture on the team was strong, dude. Yeah. Like, we had a really yeah. uh, hot, I mean, everyone loved working with one another. So, um, and taking on that many new guys in that uh, culture, it kind of it kind of w- worked against that a little bit as well. Sure. Like sort of, we went from being a really fun place to be. Like this is business, right? We're spending a lot of money, and and these cars are f-ing for real, and it, and it sort of started to squeeze the fun out of it mm-hmm. a little bit, and the pressure was on us for sure. Like do well, do well. Tom Figgy wanted to see results, and. In all fairness to Ryan, he didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of producing good results. Cause, Ryan yeah, because yeah. we couldn't put the, the car underneath him that he needed, right? You know, Because yeah. we're rookies as well. We're yeah. all learning together. We don't have anybody with any experience at all. Yeah. So that's when Mario came into the scene was that Tom wanted to get somebody alongside Alex that could, let's validate whether or not we've got a car that's reasonable, let's validate some things yeah. that none of us can because we don't have any experience to do so.
2: So we bring in Mario Dominguez who spent some time with Forsyth. He's driven for a bunch of other IndyCar teams he's driven for a bunch of other champ car teams he's champ. done done well done well and podium he,
0: finishes you know
2: yeah so you know he can help get some results for you or at least you can sorry. so you know you can validate where the program is and where alex is comparatively
0: one million percent that's yeah. basically it is this let's figure out where we are and you know tom at this point is getting to the where he wants to he wants to see some results you know and we're used to seeing results by the end of the year we've been able to produce results everywhere else we were reasonably well in that window of time and so he's getting wanting to see some results and uh and we're we're not capable of doing it at the time so yeah bringing mario in was the first set of help uh mario then sort of let us know that we were pretty far off on the car and we needed some to do some work in the car so that's when we started looking at bringing in some additional engineering help or maybe even making an engineering change and it's just all of the things that were sort of cornerstone to the great environment that we all got to work in were being whittled away at because we weren't being competitive and so everything was being questioned. So where before it was blind blind faith, now without results, that blind faith all of a sudden changes a little bit. And it never became adversarial, but it just created an environment where we created our own issues. You know what I mean? We were our own we were our own worst enemy because we were so quick to make a change or address an issue that we never really we maybe didn't actually address what the actual issue was. Right. You know? Yeah. And time was ticking.
2: So the season starts to wrap up. You guys have some success.
0: A little bit. We were getting better. We were getting better. Yeah.
2: Where yeah. do you meet Michael Harvey? I met him
0: uh, through a deal with Roosport, working back and forth with Roosport. So that's how I actually met him for the first
1: time. Which was a, a team that you were originally competitors with in the Atlantic Series. Correct. Yeah, when they made yeah. their
0: switch to Champ Car, that's, we were doing right. a deal, and that's how I met Michael.
1: And so Resport moves up to Champ Car. Therefore, Michael Harvey, working with Resport at the time, uh, had the experience, and then he moves over to you.
0: Correct. Well, right. so that's correct, basically, in the shortest of terms. He didn't come over in the Atlantic time, right? So we stole Burke to do the Atlantic thing, and then fast forward to 2007, right, because the Atlantic series was 2004. Fast forward to 2007, Sports kind of done its thing, you know. Um, AJ's getting ready to go to Forsyth at that point. Michael's available and we have, we're going champ car racing now, so I call Michael up and I'm like, dude, you're my guy, let's go racing. So he was sort of the yin to my yang, you know, like I can't do a spreadsheet and Michael Harvey has everything in his life on a spreadsheet, you know what I mean? Like he just, he was the, you know, I'm a little bit of a, of a loose cannon. I definitely shoot a lot from the hip, and he's not that guy at all, right? So he's the guy to, you know, I push him to do things that he wouldn't do otherwise, right? Be a little more risk taker, being maybe not so buttoned down, let's do this anyway. And he was the other side of that coin for me. He made it possible for my organization to go champ car racing because it really required a lot of organization, in particular with the globe. You know, we're going to Europe, we're going to Australia. That's a big to-do. So that couldn't have done it without him, and that's basically what he brought to the table. So definitely he was the the nuts and bolts to the whole thing for sure
1: i think mario summarized it best when he described you as fun and charismatic and a great guy and michael was english
0: yes <laughs> michael was english silent desperation that's the english way you know what i mean and that's that's him you know yeah. and button down and all those things but yeah you know it's it's a. Uh, yeah, I would. I don't think I'd want to be English because, man, it would suck. Was it? Is that right? Yeah, I think yeah. they're. I think they're all just kind of really kind of you know. Oh, yeah. oh geez. Okay. Yeah. All right. Silent desperation. Mm. Take it on the chin.
1: With without getting into the Ryan Demario switch, like the two-minute or less, how would you summarize that 2007 initial Champ Car season?
0: A learning experience. A whole lot of items that we didn't even know we needed to know about that we learned that we were going to have to be on top of and make work and so yeah mostly a learning experience like we just didn't know what we didn't know and uh going up those notches of level in racing you know when you go formula one you go champ car you go lmp car you know you really can't appreciate how many people it takes and when you see a car that's running well and an effort that is successful and is winning races man that's a lot of people working hand in hand together that's a hard thing to do there's that, that that chemistry is a really difficult thing to make happen and we realize You know, on an Atlantic team, that's like a mom and pop restaurant. You know, you got eight guys, and you all know each other's names, and you can you cover each other's asses, and pretty much everybody can do everybody else's job on the team in large part, or at least cover for them for a window of time. On Champ Car, you know, you're seg, you know, you got your front end guy, you got your rear end guy, you got your gearbox guy, you got your shock guy, you got your you know data guy, you got everybody separated, and they're all responsible for individual things. But they're so interlinked, the chains are that uh, it's just an interesting thing. I learned a lot about teamwork and camaraderie, and that it's hard to run a program like that. There's a lot to it.
1: Where does Mario Dominguez start showing up into this program? Um,
0: uh, you know, uh, we were looking for someone. Uh, Alex hurt himself at Long Beach, and we were looking for he, – he crashed the car and turned nine and hurt his back. And so we were looking for someone to replace him, and we ended up having Roberto Moreno come in. He drove for us for two races in Houston and one other spot. But Mario was one of the names that came up in the course of that. So um, as, it, as the season started winding down, we ran into him at another spot, and Tom – It was a name that came up of, you know, who can we put in the car? The engineers wanted to have someone in there that had some experience and validate that they thought they were doing good work. And, you know, we got two rookies. There's no way for us to know. So Mario seemed like the most logical step. He was more current as well. You know, Roberto was on the tail end of his career at that point and did a good job for us for sure. But he was not, you know, uh, Mario was still, you know, proper racing car driver, cowboy and could get the job done. So, and he came and recommended. I think the other thing was uh, Gerald Forsyth and Tom Figgy were friends in the background as well, and Jerry had said Mario is worth taking a look at. You should go down that road.
2: Meow. Meow.